Let's Talk Faith and Justice. My name is Boston, pronounce he, him. And my name's Lyndon, pronounce he, him, the other co-host. Today we have a very special guest, our first in-person guest in the studio, so that's awesome. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, Palestinian liberation and solidarity work. So Hanin, I'm going to leave it to you to introduce yourself. Yeah, hey everyone. Uh, my name's Hanin. Uh, I'm a second generation settler of Lebanese and Palestinian descent. I am a UVic alum, um, did my undergrad here. And um, now these days I'm doing a lot of like land sovereignty work and food sovereignty work in the cultural lens of, you know, being a Palestinian Lebanese person diaspora. And yeah, a member of you know, the different sort of Palestinian movements. And yeah, excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. So I guess, could you tell us a little bit more about your work with the Palestinian youth movement, what, what that actually looks like? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, PYM is just like maybe how I'll refer to it. Yeah. Uh, I joined it pretty recently. And, you know, originally we were just sort of building capacity and education with like other folks that were in the movement. And, you know, when things started on October 7th, it kind of was like, all in solidarity work, all in rally, rallying work, um, you know, organizing teach-ins and that sort of thing. So my role right now in PYM is, um, it's PYM Vancouver and I'm located not there. So I find a lot of my work is sort of like reflecting what they're doing in Vancouver and bringing it here to the island. Cause um, I think just like historically there hasn't been that solid above a foundation for Palestinian solidarity here as there is compared to Toronto and Montreal just because they have a much larger um, Palestinian community over there and just like have a longer history of doing solidarity work. So I guess kind of what I'm seeing my role now as like an organizer, a part of PYM, is just building that capacity here on the island and the lower island and spe specifically. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, we kind of talked about how there's, before <laughs> we started recording, but we were talking about how there's sort of this, like, wave, especially, I would say, like, on the West Coast of people wanting to, like, engage in understanding colonization and how it's impacted, like, communities here and reconciling with that. But how can that be, you know, how can that sentiment be moved further for, like, global solidarity of colonized peoples? So I think that's sort of like the lens and approach that I'm taking right now, um, just making sure that like this movement is is understood as its own, but also like is in parallel with a lot of other struggles with colonized people. So yeah, that's a little bit about PYM and the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I was curious about your perspective. So there has been a lot of, of things going on locally, a lot of like marches and teach-ins like you were saying. I was curious what you, how you have felt about those, so, or how, how have you felt about the turnout of those so far? Have you found them, yeah? Yeah, I think for like so-called Victoria, it's been like incredible. Like I remember when there was, um, like when Gaza was being bombarded in 2021, and I remember how like the weight of that for the Palestinian community was so large, but the numbers weren't showing up at our rallies. And I think this time, like, something feels different. And, um, yeah, like, I remember there was a rally in Victoria recently where, like, definitely over a thousand people came. And I'm seeing that, like, 
collective consciousness grow and and you know starting to critique like what's happening and be in solidarity with Palestinian people so something definitely feels like it's changing um especially here um and yeah there was a teach-in that uh was organized recently and I think like 200 people came which is like I would have never expect expected that many people um but yeah it seems like that movement's growing and that solidarity is growing so it's been like honestly kind of heartwarming to see despite all of the you know like pain and grief that folks are feeling I think that like what makes it a little bit more possible for us is seeing all of the like support that you know that people are showing up people are talking to their communities people are talking to their professors and friends and families and aren't really like you know um stepping away from that work whereas I think in the past people were like oh this is too complicated like I shouldn't have I shouldn't say anything about it and I think to an extent like people maybe shouldn't have like an opinion about you know some things but um I think that that doesn't mean that they can't like educate each other and like show up for each other and hold each other accountable so yeah Oh, you mentioned about the understanding of colonization. Could you just spell out a bit how the situation uh, for Palestinians mirrors that of decolonizing um, efforts in, in Canada, for example? Yeah, totally. I th- this is such a big topic. I feel like we could go into this forever. But um, obviously there is a history of settler colonization in Palestine, and that started with, you know, uh, during the British Mandate uh, period of Palestine was like the beginning of that, you know, imperialism and colonization in the region. And then that, you know, moving forward, we began to see more settler colonialism in the area. And that was like, you know, in part, a large part by the, you know, British, (laughs) like the British. Um, And yeah, so I think that like when we see maps sort of delineating the loss of Palestinian land, the loss of Palestinian, um, you know, sites of agriculture. Um, these these areas just keep shrinking and shrinking every year. And since like 1948, um, we've just been seeing Palestinians be pushed into these tiny enclaves that are fragmented from each other. And um, we see like this occupying force doing mass surveillance. And like, um, you know, there's also, um, mass incarceration of 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 palestinians in particular in the west bank where they are held with indefinitely without charge or trial um, and they're palestinian political prisoners and we're seeing you know um right now especially in the west bank the the you know israeli army is is arming like settlers who aren't connected to the military to keep that sort of police state um um you know on a stronghold and like ensuring that like you know, this occupation is, I don't know, just, yeah, it's like, it's an, an inherently violent process. Colonization is inherently violent. And we see this also in the Gaza Strip with with the blockade. And I think a lot of people <laughs> uh, talk about Gaza as like an open air prison. But I think when we use that language to, and I'll connect this to, you know, settler colonization in Canada as well. But when we talk about Gaza as like an open air prison, it gives the connotation that these people are guilty of something, that like they have to be incarcerated. And I think that language is really poor. And what we're seeing now with this genocide, I think we have to like understand that this is like, 
unoccupied territory and there's like a colonial um, force that is, you know, receiving $3.8 billion from the U.S. in military aid. I think in 2022, there's over 21 million in like arms that Justin Trudeau's government gave Israel as well. Like, um, and th these these things are being used, you know, these like military weapons are being used and tested on Palestinians in Gaza in particular. And like, the, you know, mass surveillance in the West Bank and Gaza as well. And in, and in you know, 48 territories, which is so-called Israel these days. Um, like the mass surveillance of Palestinians and, you know, mass incarceration rates and, you, you know, um, cutting off communications in Gaza was really scary. And but the, these are all things that we've seen in in Canada. We've seen this. We saw communication shutoffs happen during what so in resistance. We've seen this happen in Standing Rock. Um, and it happens when, you know, these settler colonial states want to sort of control and just control like what is being what sort of information is being disseminated from people on the ground that are resisting these colonial powers um and you know they target journalists they um like we we saw like the rcmp and like armed forces invade Wet'suwet'en territory a few years ago and like these things um i wouldn't necessarily say that they're the same but it, the processes are paralleled and the struggles are paralleled so yeah, when I think about, you know, settler states, especially like Canada and Israel and the the U.S., Australia, all these things, like they inherently are collectively not going to be calling for a ceasefire because they benefit from this. And this is like a way where they can like make money and control people. And I think the moment where Canada recognizes that this is like Israel's a settler state is the moment where they have to like start interrogating themselves more than they are which is like you know we we look at like the um calls for truth and reconciliation and how many of them have actually been put into place like i think as soon as canada recognizes what israel is doing and like calls for a ceasefire like if they were to ever if they were called to a ceasefire like recognize it as a settler colonial state then they would have to start interrogating themselves and they will not do that and so i think it's also in the name of like protecting their own interests as a settler colonial state Yes, uh, yeah. Um, thank you for bring, so yeah. Bring up what's so yeah. Sorry, yeah. It's good. But it was a lot yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I so that sort of I guess part of the reason why I asked what, how you felt about the local response is that I remember when when the RCMP raided Wet'suwet'en, and I remember like the like utter shock and horror from like everyone here. Oh my gosh. The RCMP ra like raided and and especially when it came out that um, the RCMP had had been given basically permission like shoot to kill permission mm -hmm. for Wet'suwet'en land defenders, and I remember the response being like, "How could this happen here? This is horrible," and I mean, it, it's like Israel's not just you know giving the right to. I mean, they are like they've murdered thousands and. I have not seen seen the same sort of the same intensity of a response here for mm -hmm. what's going on in Palestine, and a lot of the same people that I saw protesting for Wet'suwet'en I haven't seen on on the streets for Palestine. So mm. it's I, I that's why I was kind of curious wh what you thought because I feel like it's so you know just the the response hasn't been the same and 
to me, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to, I can't speak for Wet'suwet'en because I'm not Wet'suwet'en, but it's, uh, the situation in Palestine seems, you know, 10,000 times more horrifying. No, it doesn't seem 10,000, it is 10,000 times more horrifying, and there's just not as much of a response. Yeah, I guess you'd, yeah, that's a, this is something I've definitely been thinking, and I think maybe I'm, I definitely have these critiques in these communities, uh, especially so-called like leftist communities here in Victoria. And, you know, everyone like prides the West Coast to be like this, like, you know, um, more liberal and like whatever, yeah. like all the liberal people from like Alberta and whatever move out here. Um, and yeah, there is, I definitely see that radio silence. I think I it like, it drove me up the wall just like to see people posting about Halloween for instance instead of like posting about Palestine and so and these are like you're saying these people are were like showed up in numbers for for what's Odin and like um I also think about like the UVic divestment campaign where you know I know that there are students on campus that are looking at UVic's investments into companies that either are directly um like Israeli companies supporting war crimes or their secondary, like um, secondarily complicit, like Scotiabank, for instance, who invests invests five hundred million dollars in Elbit Systems, which is like uh, Israeli defense company that specializes in electronics and mass surveillance and weapons. So I think that there's like when I think about that, I'm like that is like so messed up. Like the the way that you know we're seeing maybe like a double standard of like and I think this discourse too is like still being had but like like Pal- like indigenous Palestinians like needing the support now more than ever but maybe you know a lot of maybe I'm generalizing too like a lot of like liberal folks here not recognizing the Palestinian struggle as like an indigenous struggle and like in a struggle against settler colonization which I think is so imperative to understanding and being in solidarity with Palestinian people is you know and something else I will say is like sometimes people are like oh this is like a thousand year conflict of uh religion and it's not about that it it has a start date and this is like it like started in the late 1800s with the movement of using, you know, Zionism as a means to colonize. And at that time in the late 1800s, we were seeing so many different Euro- European powers colonizing places. So uh, for a lot of like Jewish folks in Europe, they were like, oh, maybe this is like a normal thing to do. And like, um, let's try and get some political bodies to help us out in like finding a homeland. And, and so, I don't know, it just makes me think about like how these settler colonial states and settler colonial processes all happened sort of at the same time. And that's what this is. It has a start date in the late 1800s. It also, you know, is really linked to like British imperialism and colonization throughout the world. Um, and yeah, and, and so maybe like, I hope that framework helps people understand that like, it is not a war of religion. It is not a conflict. It is and oppressed peoples fighting against a colonial power. And I think, I don't know, maybe this is like, I hope this nuance like makes sense to, to an extent, like the way that, you know, the settler colonization happened in Israel too. Like, I think about all the like racialized Jewish communities in, uh, throughout Africa, in North Africa, in the Middle East, that, you know, 
when they were trying to get people to populate it and like displace Palestinians, there was, you know, there's examples of this, especially in Iraq, where like Jewish communities like were displaced and sort of forced to move to Israel and like to help populate it. But then once all these like racialized Jewish communities got there, they were treated like second class citizens and, you know, had to do all this like dirty work and didn't have like the right to vote. I actually have to double check that. But I'm pretty sure, you know, there's like all these things that we see time and time again with like racialized communities, like being disenfranchised by settler colonial states. And so I think that's just to go to say that like the the settler colonial process in Israel is is a process of like white supremacy, as is as is like, you know, all settler colonial states. That's kind of what it like is founded in. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> to talk about like what you asked of like uh, seeing who is showing up right now and like the contradictions, I think that you're totally right. Like there are people that are maybe shying away from this because they're thinking that it's too complicated and they're thinking that like they're like, oh, I shouldn't have a stance and I shouldn't have an opinion. And maybe like you shouldn't to an extent, I think that you should have a, a stance in solidarity with Palestinian people. And I'm biased about that because I'm Palestinian and I'm seeing what's going on. Um, and also, like, if you stand for indigenous rights, that needs to, like, extend globally. Yeah. And it usually does. As well. yeah. yeah. Like, it, it almost always does. I uh, think about especially, you know, like with the Kanaka Maoli in Hawaii and stuff. Like, I mean, I know that's, I, they're technically part of the United States, but it doesn't really. Yeah. You know, Still colonized. Be, yeah. 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 Um, no, thank you. Thank you. Um, do you have a, I, cause, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I wonder uh, if if one thing that complicates, because you've painted a bigger picture for us, a, a broader lens to look at, whereas in news media, and for many of us, we have very short-term memories. Mm -hmm. And so often the, the lens through which people are judging is saying, oh, there was this attack from Hamas mm -hmm. on this date, and then there's this response, and then some time has elapsed, and we've seen a pretty disproportionate response militarily. But people are looking at the, we're looking at this very narrow window of time of a few mm. weeks. So I think a lot of people's moral judgment is being shaped within that and then in the back of their mind knowing, oh, and we know, we remember other things happening too. But that they're really just looking like October 2023 mm -hmm. is like most of where people are forming opinions. Um, so I wonder, but you're trying to broaden the lens of that. Um, and I know, for example, as a, uh, a Christian leader and that I was uh, put on the spot for, for not offering uh, unequivocal support of Israel. Mm. Uh, it was, that was a new thing for me, not something I'd been asked about before so directly. Um, and so then the questions of uh, well, do you not stand against anti-Semitism? And then having to parse, how do you separate that from what seems to be a very asymmetric fight when you when mm -hmm. a whole air force and military are doing aerial bombing of civilians and now a ground incursion? And uh, I think uh, not having maybe done enough of my homework <laughs> beforehand, it was... Really, like in that first week or so, um, some Jewish uh, neighbors and partners saying, well, you know, where are you? Are you standing with us or not? Mm -hmm. And so having a parse, and I think some 
the Lutheran Church has partners. Uh, there's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Jordan and the Holy Land, mm-hmm. and so they have a presence uh, in in Palestinian area, especially in Gaza. Uh, there's a member in our church who serves on the board of the Augusta Victoria Hospital in Jerusalem. They operate a cancer clinic in Gaza, and so suddenly. For some of us, we, we did a lot of learning in those short time frame to say we actually have a lot of partners mm. who are being directly bombed and threatened. And to share that with some Jewish friends to say, hey, these are actually our ecumenical partners. Those are Christians who are, are whose clinics and uh, homes and churches and, and, and mosques and everything are, are uh, under threat. And so I think I think it was the first time in a while that I've seen like some of that play out more locally. Then suddenly we're reevaluating where everyone's at, say in Greater Victoria or in Canada, <clears throat> in Canada, as opposed to just seeing it as this uh, only what's happening maybe in in uh, in the Holy Land. So I don't know. Uh, that's not an excuse to to not be informed, but I get the feeling some of white Canadians' reluctance is to say, if I say anything in support of Palestine, does that make me anti-Semitic? And if not, then what history am I learning to help parse that? So that's been a pretty quick, uh, uh, again, not like this is a new thing, but I feel like for some of us it feels like, oh, we haven't exercised these muscles uh, more visibly or publicly in a while. And having moved to Victoria five years ago, it was new-ish for me to see how everything sorts out and on campus then too. Um, and helping parse that out since we've got various multi-faith uh, leaders and students in the multi-faith center at UVic. Mm-hmm. So just to, I don't know, uh, from that context, I think that's where we've seen some of the silence maybe of people who are in favor of what's Odin, that's only a slice of it. That's not everybody. But from some of the religious perspectives of feeling, oh, I feel like I'm solid ground saying this. And then in the first two weeks, people not feeling like they're on solid ground. But increasingly so when we see just the scale of attack is just mind boggling. Yeah. Um, Thank you for those reflections. I think I think that brings up a really good point and something that I try to like, you know, ground people in is understanding that like, while, you know, religion is in part of the struggle, like we've been seeing, you know, a thousand percent increase in, in uh, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian, anti, or like Islamophobic hate crimes and like, uh, this feels like a lot like after 9-11 for the, a lot of Arab community of like the, I think it's just to say like, oh, let me backtrack a bit. I think, I think I want to like really push through to folks to, who are listening that like, this is like a land-based struggle and it is not a struggle of religion. Um, Palestinians have always been a really diverse group of people. Um, Palestinian, there's like, really large groups of Christian Palestinians. Some of my closest friends are Christian Palestinians. Um, And that same goes for Jordanians and Lebanese folks. Like a lot of folks in that region do have connection to this. And I also think about, you know, Jewish communities throughout the Middle East, um, North Africa and in, you know, East Africa as well. Um, 
I just think that when we talk about Palestine, it it's always been a land-based struggle. It's always been, um, you know, a colonial struggle. Um, and I think when religion comes into it and when people start talking about, you know, Islam and anti-Semitism and Christianity, it, I guess I get wary that maybe it'll, like, derail the conversation of, like, how how this is, like, inherently, like, a, a process of colonization to sort of, like, um, you know, be, make people question themselves and make people question, like, the validity of, like, their critiques and stuff like that. I think that is, in part, like, a... Um, something that's you know the Palestinian struggle has always dealt with of like invalidating the way that we are trying to you know just advocate for ourselves and just being like hey like these a hundred years of like displacement pain violence genocide um you know losing our land watching the land be planted with like trees that aren't native to the area <laughs> and like these things are so painful and I think that I just I just say this to kind of like bring it back down to the idea that this is like a land-based struggle. Um, and I think that like, it's unfortunate too that like, I don't know that like maybe folks can't see through to that. And I, and, but I really encourage people to think about it in that lens and like to really bring it back down to that. Thank you. Um, and something that we also discussed briefly before we started recording um, that has kind of come up a couple times is the, yeah, the, I mean, I don't even have, like, the unbelievable misrepresentation of what's been going on in particularly Canadian and, and Western media. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't, I mean... At this point, I don't even look at, like, <laughs> I'm not even looking at the CBC anymore to tell me what's going on. Like, I, th I have the Al Jazeera app downloaded on my phone, and I, I'll, I'll look at that. But other than that, like, I don't, because it is, and I mean, that is uh, something that I'm also familiar with, that we're talking about, you know, actions here. I'm, I remember when we were at the legislature and, and occupying it, I remember just the meat, like, we just could not get through to these, like, old white reporter that were like that were coming like oh well you know what, what's so what's going on here we're like we're in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people we're not protesters we're the and then like right away they'd go and be like so protesters get and it's like no like you're not listening to us like you I feel like they go you know with their own obviously their own, I don't know it's such a misconception you know people always say reporters are supposed to be unbiased mm -hmm. which is like so ridiculous because reporters are obviously biased I mean everyone Everyone has some thing that they... But so I think reporters go in with their own bias a lot. Um, and so I was wondering if you could kind of speak to that a little bit, that, that misrepresentation lately. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I can, like, <laughs> dig into this. I just did a ton of research for this recently. Um, yeah, I mean, like, we, we always see this in Western media whenever, like, colonized peoples or racialized peoples are resisting. We've seen, you know, this rhetoric of terrorism from you know people resisting on Turtle Island and people resisting in Palestine. We've seen it with the civil rights movement in the US. Um, I think like, you know, <laughs> like we saw this after 9-11 too, where they use, you know, this rhetoric of terrorism to collectively punish an entire population of people. And like, you know, I think that people see, I'm just trying to think of how to, how to word this, like when, 
I, you know, I see CBC and these other like large Western media outlets talk about Hamas. And an example that just feels so dehumanizing is that there are these like doctors and nurses and healthcare practitioners that work within the like social wing of that government um, because, you know, they, there's just like, yeah, it's like Hamas also <laughs> funds, you know, healthcare and social programs. And it's not to say that like I'm, I am not like endorsing it at all. I'm just sort of providing context for this where we see then these reporters be talking to these doctors, nurses, and the healthcare practitioners who haven't slept for days, who are working with no anesthetics or medicine and are treating wounds with with vinegar and people are like, there are tens of thousands of people that are injured and have been disabled by these bombs. And there's, you know, like over 9,000 people that have been killed by airstrikes alone. And that does not include like waterborne illnesses or like dehydration, like death from dehydration, um, starvation, like people who are, you know, dying of like miscarriages. Like there's so much that's happening and so many people, so many deaths that are outside of the airstrikes that aren't being as publicized right now. And and then I see CBC being like this, uh, you know, Hamas run healthcare facility, like doctor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that that to me tells like when you constantly hear this rhetoric of terrorism and then you see this doctor who hasn't slept in days trying to like provide health care and save people women and children and men and then and then people see Hamas run center or like healthcare center they that clicks for people i think subconsciously that clicks for people as like oh this person is you know a part of this terrorist organization and maybe these people do you know, deserve this collective punishment. And and that wording is so concerning for me. I think as, like, a Palestinian person, just, like, the media, I think, like, you know, the first most powerful thing in this process of, you know, colonization right now is the c- colonial power. It is, you know, the Israeli government. It is, like, the, you know, the, all of these other imperial powers supporting Israel. And the second thing is the media. The media has such a grasp in the way that this thing can be, this, like, genocide is being documented and the way that Palestinians are being dehumanized and I just like it breaks my heart to see these healthcare practitioners whose like you know hospitals are being bombed who are watching their family members die to be you know labeled as like like Hamas adjacent because they are like providing health care to people who are being bombarded by weapons that the U.S. and Canada are funding and so it just like yeah, and so that's just like one very deep example. And I think one thing I will also mention is like on the other side of this, we see like leftist, so-called leftist and liberal communities and maybe media as well talking about like, oh, this many women and children have died by blah, blah, blah. But the what's devoid of that is talking about Palestinian men. And I think that a lot of the time in, in media, and this has been built especially in like Arab communities that – it's always the men that, and I think this is like a Western imperialist feminist framework where like they were not reporting on the deaths of men, these like fathers, these people that are like pulling people out of the rubble, these people that are like, you know, doing so much labor for their families and like, and, and for themselves just to like keep things together and they're not being reported on in the same way. And I think what that tells people is that these people are not worthy of life, these men are not worthy of life, that they are inherently violent and are deserving of pain and violence and death. 
And this all comes back to, you know, the idea that like of like collectively Arab people are terrorists. And like even if you can say, oh, that's not it, like that's not the thing, I think that's still a really subconscious thing that people are thinking of. And so like they're trying to humanize Palestinians through women and children, but not the men. And why is that? Like and like I I come from a very strong background of like, you know, like when I think about colonization and everything, it's like impacted by gender analysis. And I think that like to discredit Palestinian men is like, is just like feeds into that terrorist rhetoric of like that they're inherently violent, that they are like women hating and that they do not get, you know, to be acknowledged in the same way. And so, yeah, they're, yeah, that's just sort of like a couple reflections of like the way that media is portraying this as well. Um, and I, I feel like I could go on forever about this, but I'll stop there. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so, I mean, we should probably, there, so, because we are usually, there. no one comes in after us usually in the studio, um, but today there is actually someone coming <laughs> in. So we actually have to be out of here in the hour. Um, we usually go a bit over. Um so I mean, I guess maybe to to wrap up, I don't know. Um, sort of maybe is it, if there's anything else you'd like to add that we haven't haven't covered, and I also wonder because it's it's such a it's a, well like you, like you said I mean like you've said before you've said something and now like it's just such a huge huge thing, um, and I wonder how how you keep hopeful I guess yeah um so I grew up uh in a Muslim household I didn't quite like I wasn't quite taught a lot about it I feel like I was always adjacent to it and it was more of like a cultural thing for me and I think something that I've been you know really and this is maybe just like a personal thing of how I keep hope and then I'll keep I'll talk about collectively collective hope um you know, I've reached out to my dad. My dad's Palestinian. My mom is Lebanese. Both have been, you know, violently displaced when they were children by Zionist forces and by Israeli, the Israeli army. Like, they've both been, like, my family's been displaced five times in the span of 25 years. And that, you know, what they, what they lived through is like so much more than what I've experienced. And so I go to them with like, you know, questions. I'm like, how do you, how do you work through this and like how how are you not just like devastated and immobilized like how do you keep going and I was talking to my dad about this who is very devout to his faith and like he just he just told me that I have to keep faith and I think that's different from hope like I think faith is just knowing that it will come and like that things will come and hope is more like you know maybe not utilized as it's it's more like optimism that something will happen but faith is like knowing to the, your core that something will come and he you know often t- tells me that like like Palestinians will be free and like and I think I'm just like in such awe of like how steadfast he's been and um you know my mom too she's she's been like really supportive and great about this all and I think and I just think about how much harder it is for them to, like, you know, be rewatching the same horrific thing happen every two years, like, every day even. Um, whereas, like, I, you know, have so much privilege as, like, someone, as, like, a second generation, like, that didn't have to grow up there. And, and they did everything in their power to bring me here. And so I think 
for me, my hope is that like the work that I'm doing and, you know, the, the support in my family and within our faith, even like, you know, my dad, my dad, and also a, a really good friend of mine here who has been supporting me like so much and is Lebanese, like wrote a prayer for me. And I think that like, I've never quite, you know, been in touch with prayer and religion in that sense, but if that's what I've been going to and that's where I've been finding, you know, that faith throughout this process. And um, it's been a beautiful journey and I'm excited to see where it goes. And I do, I want to connect more to that spirituality because I think that's, you know, when I think about Muslim people globally and Muslim Palestinians, like we're all connected to each other right now when we pray at the same time. And like we're connected to each other when we pray to the same place and like are praying for the same people. And I think that makes me feel more connected to that community and makes me feel hopeful. Um, and then I guess in more a collective sense, I think about, you know, even though like there isn't as much solidarity as like I'd hope there to be, it is growing. And I think people are gaining more of a collective consciousness of like, of like needing to be unapologetically in support of Palestine and Palestinian people and that they have the right to return to their land. They have the right to live in peace and they have, you know, like all refugees deserve to return, all people in diaspora deserve to return. We like I've never been to my land myself, and and you know our village was ethnically cleansed, um, and all the work that people are doing right now is to ensure that Palestinians can return, and is to ensure that we can like connect to, you know, our land. And um, so I guess just like to the audience, like like yeah, do do the learning and be unapologetic in your support for Palestine and, um, you know, keep getting educated, keep talking to your communities. Um, you can, you know, even start, like, looking into, like, the boycott movement. Um, there's so many ways that you can be mobilized and keep that hope up and show Palestinians that you're here for us because it does it does have an impact for us, and, and I'm definitely feeling that these days for sure. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing all that you have shared. Um, yeah, just so appreciated. Um, and we have some thank yous that we usually do at, at the end of our episodes. Um, do, do you want to do it? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Thank you to the Multiface. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you to the Multiface Center, UVic, Lutheran Church of the Cross, and BC Synod. Um, thank you to CFUV. And... Uh, you can where can we where can we find you online? Oh, that's such a good question. I have Instagram, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, or, yeah, I guess I don't really have an online presence. Actually, I'm so sorry. No, it's good. It's good. Well, we'll but just if have people, to bring people, you on again. Yeah, bring me on again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you. So appreciated, and thank you for listening. Bye.